Welcome to Speaking of Travel with Marilyn Ball. Sit back and be carried away to places around the world and right here in our own backyard. No passport required. Hi, this is Marilyn Ball, and you're listening to Speaking of Travel right here on News Radio 570 WWNC 880 and 92.9 The Revolution. And be sure to visit the Speaking of Travel website. That's speakingoftravel.net and sign up for the Speaking of Travel Travel Club. We're going to have a lot of fun things going on in 2018, and now's the time to sign up. That's speakingoftravel.net. Speaking of Travel is brought to you by the Asheville Regional Airport. They've got five airlines, 11 nonstop destinations connecting you anywhere you want to fly. That's flyavl.com. And by Appalachian Realty. Appalachian Realty have been helping people find really great places all over Western North Carolina for a really long time. They've got this place set. They know what you need. That's appalachianrealty.com. And remember, you can listen anywhere, anytime in the whole wide world on your free iHeartRadio app. Well, you know, we've talked a lot about the benefits of health, both physically and mentally, and when you travel. Now, imagine being a college professor, along with the teaching and the research and the department politics. I would think over time it would drain energy and motivation. That's why a sabbatical can be a really important means for a faculty member to renew and revitalize with new environments, fresh perspectives and even unfamiliar routines to boost that creativity and enhance their teaching skills and conduct research that benefits their school, their students, and their society. Well, my guest today is Jonna Kaiwa Kwiatkowski, right, Jonna? Yes, that's right. I got it. (laughs) She's a PhD and associate professor of psychology and art therapy at Mars Hill College. And she has researched and taught about the psychology of creativity and aesthetics for 22 years. Wow, Jonna. That's a lot of years. I've been doing it for most of my adult life now, yeah. Oh, my gosh. Well, welcome to the show. I'm so glad to have you here. Thanks so much. I'm glad to be here. So, John and I have known each other for a while, and we were out talking one night, and John had just come back from a sabbatical, and I was just wowed because... It was so exotic, Jonna, and I want you to tell us about it. But before we get into that, tell us a little bit about yourself and how you even got into teaching. Sure, sure. So um, I had studied psychology and computer science as an undergraduate and started off thinking that I might like to try the business world, moved to Chicago, the big city, and um, worked as a computer scientist for a while, um, and then realized that the business world wasn't really for me. And so when I started graduate school, I decided to go back to psychology, But I wanted to keep a little bit of that computer science edge, so I decided to study cognitive psychology and then even more specifically creativity. So that was really the beginning of my um, graduate school was thinking, I want to understand more about how people get to be creative and stay creative. And the professor that I worked with, my advisor, also studied aesthetics. And so I began really exploring how creativity and aesthetics were related to each other. Um, 
really the important connection for me is that idea that to know that you have a creative idea, you have to have some sense of aesthetics. You have to have some sense of what other people will find appealing. And so that was really the beginning of um, my my work in, in this area. Well, that really moves me because when you think about putting those together, I mean, you talk about collaboration, those topics, um, I don't think most people would consider one plus one, these two being together. Right. So being able to study that and understand that and then teach, is that what you teach at Mars Hill? I, I Well, I teach um, because it's under uh, Mars Hill is an undergraduate institution. I teach cognition, which is um, more about how people think and learn in general. But because you're taking the class with me, we always do spend time talking about creativity and aesthetics as well. Yeah. Yeah. And they really do, you know, creativity and aesthetics, they have to go together because, um, you know, when you start getting into the neuroscience of it, the parts of the brain that are activated when a person is thinking creatively, very similar to the parts of the brain that are activated when a person is delighted by something that they find aesthetically appealing. Um, it, not for all parts of the creative process, but but for those parts, especially when you're realizing that you have a really fantastic idea. So um, when you get down to the brain level, it's all really very connected, even if it seems less so in everyday life. Wow, my brain must be on fire right now. <laughs> John is sitting here talking to you about this. So you made this decision. I want to talk a little about a sabbatical sure. overall, because, you know, since you and I had that connection where we were at a, a dinner and we were talking and you had just come back and you were telling me about it, I, I went online and I wanted to do a little research myself just to find out more about right. sabbaticals, because I went to college and I know that there were professors who took sabbaticals, you know, took a year off and stayed around and did research and mm. went out to lunch with their friends and <laughs> did some things to just catch up on their mental health. Sure. You didn't. You went to Spain. And I want to hear about how that even formulated in your head. Sure. And how that process happened. Yeah. So, um, Sabbaticals take many different forms at colleges and universities. Um, some schools, it's almost like a guarantee that, that you'll get them. Other schools, it's a competitive process. Other schools, it's kind of when there's funding available. Um, and so I'm really lucky. Mars Hill has a process for sabbatical where, um, you know, every, every eight years you're, you are able to apply for a sabbatical and, um, the amount of time that you that you're given for that sabbatical really depends on the the proposal and the project that you want to pursue. So when I started thinking about what I might like to do, um, there are two things that I have really loved over the last few years, especially since I moved to Asheville. Um, one of those things is studying yoga, but I've really studied yoga with my yoga teachers, not as a, an academic or a research topic. Um, and then uh, I have always loved working with my students on aesthetics projects. And because of my teaching schedule, I knew that I would have 
fallen somewhat behind in understanding the research literature on aesthetics. And so I wanted to come up with a project that would let me think about aesthetics and yoga at the same time. Um, and because aesthetics is the area that I've done more research in, um, I knew that I wanted to work with some of my colleagues who have kept up more of a research career as opposed to a teaching career. Um, and the first person that came to mind was Marcos Nadal, who teaches at the University of the Balearic Islands, um, which is on the island of Majorca uh, in the Mediterranean. It's off the, the coast of Spain. So it's part of Spain, but it but it's an island. Um, and there were two reasons that I wanted to work with him. One is very practical. He does some of the best work out there on aesthetics right now, especially neuroaesthetics. So I wanted to... Um, I wanted to learn from him, and I knew that being near him would allow me to update my skills more quickly. Um, the other reason is really because, you know, it's an island in the Mediterranean, and um, um, that sounded like a fantastic um, release and, and break from, from my everyday life. Um, and so when I started to put together the project, I knew I wanted yoga. I knew I wanted aesthetics. And, um, and Marcos was really generous in, in inviting me to come, giving me an office at the university, and really kind of welcoming me into his research lab there. So um, so that was really the beginning. That's a really great beginning. So did you know him before? I did, yeah. So I have known him from conferences and from some collaborations for, for really years. And, um, and honestly, you know, many of us who study aesthetics, we all go to the same really small conferences where it's this small research community from all over the world that comes together. And, um, and most of us, when we get some we try to go and work with Marcos because, you know, <laughs> who wouldn't want to go work with Marcos, right? right? Exactly. Especially on an island in Spain. Any real estate company's success is a reflection of its attention and care provided to its clients. Appalachian Realty Associates are proven to have the best agents around. And if you're looking for a place in Asheville and Western North Carolina, they'll help you find properties as unique as you are. Visit them at AppalachianRealty.com or at their welcoming bungalow office on Arlington Street near downtown. Appalachian Realty, helping people call Asheville home since 1979. With 50 flights every day to and from cities like Atlanta, Charlotte, and Chicago, you can fly to hundreds of worldwide destinations with one easy connection. Choose Allegiant, American, Delta, or United right here from Asheville Regional Airport. And when you fly home, you're home. Asheville Regional Airport. Take the easy way out. Latino buying power is huge and rising fast. If you want to tap into this new market, then connect by advertising in Ola Carolina Magazine. This glossy Spanish-language magazine is published monthly and reaches over 70,000 Spanish-speaking residents in Western North Carolina. Ola Carolina Magazine is about much more than just speaking Spanish. It's about Latino culture. Visit OlaCarolina.com and transform how you attract, engage, and connect with Latino customers. Fly me to the moon, let me play among the stars, and let me see what spring is like on Jupiter and Mars. In other words... 
My guest today is Jonna Kwiatkowski. She's a Ph.D. associate professor at Mars Hill University. And, Jonna, we were talking during the break. Mars Hill University has been a university now for some time, right? Yeah, I think uh, four or five years, I think about. Yeah, they um, made the switch because we started offering graduate programs, and that's a very typical time for for colleges to consider switching that nomenclature. And um, that's a big push at, at... at I the school. Bet. So, um, so now, yeah. Do you kind teach of graduate studies as well? No, not yet. We have had in the works um, a plan to move towards an art therapy graduate program. Um, but we are actually just about to welcome in a new college president or university president. Pardon me. And, um, so, um, you know, a lot of a lot of those new programs have kind of been put on hold until all of these big administrative right. changes happen. Oh, it but. sounds like there's a lot for the future. Yeah. A lot of growth. No, it's and exciting. Really exciting times for Mars Hill. It's a good University. time to be there. Yes. yes. <laughs> well, Jonas, so tell us about Mayorga. I mean, come on, you got this guy. He's a a colleague of yours. Sure. Everybody wants to go work with him. Yeah. You sent him. An email, I guess, with an idea. Yeah. So I sent him the uh, really kind of a full research plan for what I wanted to study. Um, it's a bit different than what he does, especially the yoga part is very different than a typical topic for an aesthetics research project. Um, but like I said, he was really welcoming and excited to have some new ideas kind of come into his lab. Um, and so from there, the rest of the process moving towards actually, um, you know, spending time in Majorca involved sending in my application to the university, as well as for additional funding through the Appalachian Colleges Association, which um, I'm grateful that they provided the funding for me to spend a whole year away from teaching. Amazing. And and then really planning the trip. And so I spent all of last summer working on kind of doing pre-reading for the research and then went in September to Majorca. Where, um, where really life is, is pretty amazing. So, you know, there's about a million people that live in Majorca. Um, so it's an island, but it's, it's not a, a small, it's, it's not like going to a Caribbean island where it's all getaway, right? The main city is Palma and Palma de Majorca has about 400,000 people. It's, um, you know, it's a big port city. Um, traditionally it was, um, it was a stop when, in part of the Roman Empire, and um, and so again, million people, four hundred thousand in the main big city. There's even a subway system. So even though it's an island, it functions very much like a European city. And how far off the coast of Spain is it? So I'm not going to be able to tell you but miles, Florida. but I can tell you that if you take the ferry from Barcelona, it takes about six hours. <laughs> six hours? Sure. Wow. Yeah. So do most people fly? Yeah. If you fly, it's a 45-minute, you know, 30-, 45-minute flight. I see. It's super short um, and super inexpensive. So a lot of people will even have, um, you know, 
either their main house or a vacation house on Majorca and then go and live other parts of their lives in other part of Europe. It's a really typical thing that people do in European cities. And had you ever been there before? Well, I went in May, but kind of as a planning trip for this, but not before that. I see. I had only heard from other colleagues about how wonderful it is there. Wow. Yeah. Well, tell us what it was like when you got there. Like, you went in May, you checked sure. it out, you scoped yeah. it out, you came back, right. you spent the summer. Yeah, so it was, you know, it, it was really interesting because I, I guess... When I was planning the trip, I had all kinds of, of very serious goals. Like I, I really love the research side of things and being able to update those skills seemed like a big treat in and of itself. But I also was really excited for the, um, I guess, vacation-y part, this sense of living on an island in the Mediterranean seemed wonderful. I um, mean, it really was. So I landed. It was still really summer there, even though it was September. You know, there were still the, the plane that I took over um, went through Oslo and then from Oslo into um, Majorca into Palma and um, the flight I think I was the only person on the flight that wasn't going to Mallorca for like a two-week holiday. Um, everybody else was, um, you know, imbibing and having a fantastic time in anticipation of their time on the island. And um, and that's really kind of the spirit that I came into. Um, and interestingly, because I got to spend a lot of time with people that actually live in Mallorca through the university, um, I came to learn that a lot of the pros and cons of Mallorca for people that live there are the same as for people in Asheville because there are so many tourists there. Um, and so I started to very quickly find ways of movement and um, ways of, of living where I could still enjoy the island, but with a little bit less of the tourist vibe. Um, so it was beautiful everywhere. But if you if you look, you can find these little coves and little beachy areas where there are, are fewer tourists. Because um, I tell you what, the tourists, they are serious about relaxing when they get there. Oh, and, my uh, gosh. <laughs> <laughs> I want to go there now. I know, can we? <laughs> I know. So could you speak the language? No. So, um, so I, I didn't speak... Spanish or Catalan. So they speak both languages on the island. And um, I, before I went to visit in May, I really thought that I would spend the summer learning Spanish. But then when I went to visit, I realized that everyone there speaks a combination of Spanish and Catalan all the time. So like all of the official um, government buildings are have signs in Spanish because that's the language of Spain, but all of the street signs are in Catalan. And when people are talking, they very often in one sentence will switch between one and the other because they just choose the word that helps them express themselves best. Um, and so the the idea of having to learn two languages in a summer just seemed way too overwhelming. And um, I decided to just go and, and experience it um, as, a, as an English speaker, which worked out just fine. You know, everyone speaks enough English um, to help you get whatever you want. You may not be able to tell people a joke, but you, you know, you can definitely get what you need. And what what was the length of time that you were planning on being there? So I intended to stay about six months and I ended up staying about four instead. Um, I, so there is a limit through for any European Union country for a visitor to stay with a, with a visitor visa. Um, and 
I had been working with the university to extend that, but it fell through. It's a really long story, but it fell through. And um, and so even though they were really encouraging me to stay further beyond the the, um, you know, the the deadline, I just felt like I didn't want to press my luck in going back through border control, passport control um, beyond the four months. So I stayed ab- about four months. Well, that's a good long, <clears throat> excuse me, a good long time to yeah. really get the flavor and, sure. uh, you know, feel like a local, I'm sure. It sounds yeah. like you had a, bu- a good start. I did. I got to experience all of the local fall holidays. Um, and so there are a lot of holidays. <laughs> and, um, you know, I, I had a couple of people come to visit. So I was able to do some of the sightseeing types of things. Um, you know, across the island, you can go from the city to mountains where there was actually snow while I was there, even though in the city it was never cold enough for snow, um, to the beach, to, you know, every, really every possible climate, um, or, or terrain is, is available if you, if you drive far enough. It sounds like just such a beautiful, beautiful island. It is. and the people, it sounds like were really wonderful. And, and I definitely want to talk more about your research and, and how you, um, how you were able to fit in, uh, the goals and objectives sure. that you had. So were you working directly with, this professor, mm-hmm. I was working with uh, with Marcos Marcos Nadal, and then Enrique uh, Munar is another professor there who helped me quite a bit. And so I would go out to the university for meetings with them, um, but they both live in Palma, which is about twenty minutes. Um, away from the university. And so we would often meet in Palma as well. And I would also um, take my laptop with me and do research and reading and thinking in some of those different coves on the beach. Oh, that sounds beautiful. Well, Jonna, thank you so much. Mm -hmm. We're getting ready to join Doc Lawrence on the Gourmet Highway. Excellent. Hi, this is Tina Kinsey with Asheville Regional Airport, and I have a travel tip for you today. Have you ever traveled and then heard those dreaded words that your flight is either delayed or canceled? Unfortunately, this does happen in air travel, and so you will need to rebook. One tip to keep in mind is instead of walking to the gate or the ticket counter and getting in line to wait your turn to go ahead and rebook that flight, why don't you pull out your cell phone and call the 800 number for your airline and a representative will be right with you and you possibly could be rebooked and on your way uh, very, very quickly. So this is a great tip. Use your cell phone avoid those lines. Any real estate company's success is a reflection of its attention and care provided to its clients. Appalachian Realty Associates are proven to have the best agents around. And if you're looking for a place in Asheville and Western North Carolina, they'll help you find properties as unique as you are. Visit them at AppalachianRealty.com or at their welcoming bungalow office on 
Arlington Street near downtown. Appalachian Realty, helping people call Asheville home since 1979. As newcomers flock to Asheville over the last 50 years, they joined with locals to breathe new energy into the city. Marilyn Ball traces the bonds of community that give rise to Asheville today in her book, The Rise of Asheville, an exceptional history of community building. It's available at Malaprops, Barnes & Noble, Loft on Broadway, and Amazon.com. With 50 flights every day to and from cities like Atlanta, Charlotte, and Chicago, you can fly to hundreds of worldwide destinations with one easy connection. Choose Allegiant, American, Delta, or United right here from Asheville Regional Airport. And when you fly home, your home. Asheville Regional Airport. Take the easy way out. Fly me to the moon. Let me play among the stars. Let me see what spring is like on Jupiter and Mars. In other words... We bring the world to you here at Speaking of Travel, and that means going along the Gourmet Highway. And today with Doc Lawrence, he's in Memphis, Tennessee, one of my very favorite destinations. Hey, Doc, how's it going? Hey, Marilyn. Guess where Doc is today? We're in Memphis, the birthplace of rock and roll and the global home of the best barbecue there is. I'm right here on the bluff overlooking the mighty Mississippi, and gosh, I wish you were here with me. I checked into the best hotel in North America when I got here, the Peabody. Peabody, as you know, is the home of the marching Mallard Ducks. For years, old Doc Lawrence was the voice of the Ducks, leading them in with a vocal introduction at 9 o'clock and sending them back to their penthouse at 5 a celebration in the Peabody that has been going on for just about a century now. Restaurants, gee, you start with barbecue here. Memphis may be the barbecue capital of the planet anyway. Who's to challenge that? I always like to stop by and see my old friends, the Neelys, the famous couple, uh, famous on Food Network and their own cookbooks, and stop by their barbecue restaurant and get some good chicken, some pork ribs, and some beef ribs. You can't beat it. In the evening, I always go by and pay a little tribute to my old friend, Silky O'Sullivan. Silky's Bar is still here on Beale Street, right up from B.B. King's, uh, home of the blues. And the barbecue is nice. The Irish whiskey is even better. Fine dining, since I'm staying at the Peabody, I eat at Chez Philippe. French wines, Jack Daniels, the official drink of the Peabody, and Doc is happy. Marilyn, I got to go over to the birthplace of rock and roll, and that's Sun Records. Sam Phillips, B.B. King, Elvis, Jerry Lee Lewis, Johnny Cash, Carl Perkins, Roy Oberson, and the Howlin' Wolf all started here. I got a quick question for all the listeners out there today. Where do you think rock and roll began in the United States? Cleveland, Ohio, or Memphis, Tennessee? That's what we call a rhetorical question, Marilyn. No trip to Memphis would be complete without paying tribute to the sacred memory of Dr. Martin Luther King, Jr., who, almost 50 years ago to this day, was assassinated at the Lorraine Motel here in Memphis. It's a terrible thing, but we're required to pay homage and to say thank you to Dr. King for all the wonders that we have today that he sacrificed his life for. 
On another note, I'm headed over to Reverend Al Green's church, and you might recognize the name. Reverend Green used to be just plain old Al Green when he was rocking away from coast to coast. But now he's got a church. The voice is still the same. He still has the gorgeous footwork. And I love to hear him do his gospel music and the wonderful way that only Reverend Green can do it. I depend upon Al to rock away my sins, and they are many. Well, it's time, Marilyn, for me to head over to the airport, jump on that big silver bird, and head back to my home of Atlanta. But I'll see all of you next week somewhere along the Gourmet Highway, and I hope it's in your hometown. This is Doc Lawrence for Speaking of Travel, saying goodbye and wishing you a wonderful spring. Doc, I cannot wait to join you sometime in Memphis, Tennessee. It is one of my favorite places, and I'll tell you what, quack, 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 I love those ducks. Have a great week, Doc, and we'll catch up with you real soon. Bye. Jonna, when you were in Majorca, give us an idea of how your day would unfold in the uh, research that you were doing. You were talking about taking your laptop and being on the in the coves and being all relaxed. What was that like for you? Um, it was really such a great combination of relaxation and, and doing some, what I think was some really good work that I'm going to be able to bring back to the university. Um, so a typical day, I would wake up. I actually found a yoga studio that I loved. And so I would go to Earth Yoga and, and do that. And from there, either head to the university, taking that subway that I mentioned, and um, I spent a lot of time there um, talking with Enrique and Marcos or actually working with graduate students. You know, the young s- students always have really great perspective. Um, and so I really spent a lot of my time in the beginning reading research articles. So trying to learn more about um, what type of research had been done specifically about yoga and thinking in the mind. Um, and then what had been done within aesthetic and what's now called neuroaesthetics um, and where there were overlaps. And I began to find all of these really great overlaps between the two research areas. And um, that sent me for sometimes weeks at a time into kind of gathering articles and trying to read more and more to understand how these two seemingly very different fields might actually relate to each other. Um, and so really, I spent a lot of time reading. Um, so I learned where all of the libraries were in Palma, because that was a great place for having um, internet access, um, or I would go out to the university, or when the days were really nice, there was the number three bus that I could take out to my favorite cove, and um, I could sit out on the rocks looking out at the, the water, and um, it was kind of shaded, and so I could I sometimes would sit there for three or four hours reading on my laptop. Um, so, I mean, that was really how I spent most of the beginning. And then once my ideas started to really come together, I started to um, spend time meeting with people who are yoga teachers on the island and um, 
ask them, tell them about my ideas and then ask me to or ask them to help me by participating in pilot research that I that I conducted while I was there. Um, and so I it was such a delight. I, I had these really good reasons to kind of reach out and meet lots of yogis on the island at the same time that um, I was updating my skills and spending time with all those nice folks at the university. Jana, that just sounds like a dream come true. It was amazing. I'll tell you what, mm-hmm. and being able to, I don't know that people really um, have a deep understanding of what that process of sitting just in nature, yeah. you know, looking out on the sea, being able to formulate these ideas mm-hmm. um, with such a magnificent uh, natural kind of environment yeah. and how perfect that would uh, overlap and and in, in integrate into your aesthetics mm-hmm. your your everything that you were studying. Sure, sure. Yeah, I mean, we know from some mostly research coming out of Japan that spending time in nature has all kinds of side benefits. And um, to be able to, you know, to, to, to be able to think about these ideas and, and these that idea of integrating yoga and aesthetics in such a beautiful environment, I think just really added to the experience for me. And it's really, you know, graduate school is not a calm thing either. So to be able to spend time thinking calmly was a treat that I don't actually think I've ever experienced in my in my career, at least not to this extent. So, well, I would really imagine great. that you know, even the word sabbatical, sure, kind of means that it does. I mean, that's the goal, sure. I would imagine. Yeah, I mean, it, it comes from um, Sabbath, I, I believe. So, I mean, it's all about that taking a break, taking a rest, and rejuvenating. Um, so hopefully you bring back um, a better you as well as better knowledge. And I think I think I've I've done that. I'm, I'm feeling really good about where things are right now. I've got this research project that um, that I have up and running. And uh, um, I don't know, it all feels really exciting and like something I'll be able to continue doing for years to come. That's really wonderful. And and being able to find peace uh, within yourself mm-hmm. to then incorporate into your research and then take to the next level and share with with your students with yeah. the population with with everybody y- yes it was um, it was like I said quite a delight real estate company's success is a reflection of its attention and care provided to its clients. Appalachian Realty Associates are proven to have the best agents around. And if you're looking for a place in Asheville and Western North Carolina, they'll help you find properties as unique as you are. Visit them at AppalachianRealty.com or at their welcoming bungalow office on Arlington Street near downtown, Appalachian Realty, helping people call Asheville home since 1979. As newcomers flock to Asheville over the last 50 years, they joined with locals to breathe new energy into the city. 
Marilyn Ball traces the bonds of community that give rise to Asheville today in her book, The Rise of Asheville, an exceptional history of community building. It's available at Malaprops, Barnes & Noble, Loft on Broadway, and Amazon.com. With 50 flights every day to and from cities like Atlanta, Charlotte, and Chicago, you can fly to hundreds of worldwide destinations with one easy connection. Choose Allegiant, American, Delta, or United right here from Asheville Regional Airport. And when you fly home, you're home. Asheville Regional Airport. Take the easy way out. Fly me to the moon. Let me play among the stars. And let me see what spring is like on Jupiter and Mars. In other words, I think I'm ready for a sabbatical, Jonna. I'll tell you what. Hearing you talk about your time in in Mallorca and and doing your research, and I want to talk more about your research. But I've been thinking, you know, being even thinking to yourself, I want to go do this research there, someplace that I've really never been. Um, Did you travel when you were a kid? How did you get this kind of idea even that going to another country would be something you would want to do? Is travel like ingrained in your wanderlust? (laughs) Um, It may be ingrained in my wanderlust, but it doesn't really come from my childhood. No, I had a professor um, as an undergraduate who um, really encouraged me to consider graduate school and um, touted the, you know, the benefits of a career in academia, especially in terms of travel. And travel was something I was very curious about, had done very little. Within the United States, my parents would always take us around to different, you know, places, but, but I wanted to see a lot more. And so um, in applying for graduate school and then even for some of the um, postdoctoral work that I did, I really wanted to find work where I could study things that I wanted to learn about, but also travel as, as part of it. And you've been able to accomplish that. I have. I have. I was so lucky. Um, I went to graduate school at the University of Maine, and my advisor, Colin Martindale, um, was really well known, especially for his aesthetics research. And so he was always getting invited to speak at conferences around the world. And he would oftentimes actually make it a requirement that um, he would only come if um, his graduate students would also be invited at the same time. Um, and so I was able to go, you know, I it, as a graduate student visited Rome and Brussels and Belgium and Paris and um, and actually spent an extended amount of time visiting different cities in Russia, went on two different trips for about four weeks each time. Um, and this was kind of right at the end. Um, the, the Soviet Union had ended already, but it was still a time when there a lot of the the um, westernization hadn't actually happened yet. Um, so, um, you know, spent a lot of time in St. Petersburg. I was able to give a talk in Catherine the Great's Theater, which is in part of the Hermitage. Um, really, my favorite trip was to a city smack in the middle of Russia called Perm. And Perm is actually um, a city where a lot of industrial, um, there's a lot of plants where things are made, cars and such. And so most of the people I met there had never met somebody from the West, let alone somebody from the United States. Um, I, 
to this day, one of my best memories is a group of young women at a, a high school there that was for learning how to speak English who came together to sing for us. This was at the time of the Titanic. My heart will go on. <laughs> Johnny, making me cry right now. It's it was so amazing. Moving. It was really I just amazing. love that. Yeah. And so, you know, through that and then um, after graduate school, I did what's called a postdoctoral fellowship at Yale University where um, I did a lot of research looking at um, learning and learning disabilities in children in Zambia, in in Africa. And so I was able to go two different times to, to Zambia to do these research projects that, you know, I think really made a, a big difference in the lives of, of um, school children and teachers trying to help those school children there. Absolutely. And, you yeah. know, I, I don't think we can say it enough, the importance of um, being open-minded as a as a student and how uh, you know just how wonderful of this professor early on in your graduate studies yeah. to um, incorporate the travel aspect and make that mm-hmm. uh, something that was even required uh, for students to be able to, to to take a semester abroad or right. to take take advantage of all those opportunities that academia provide mm-hmm. in the way of travel uh, is so important, and you're really reinforcing that. Absolutely, you know, I it didn't just change how I looked at my research. All of that travel really changed how I looked at myself, how I interacted with other people. Um, so I'm always trying to encourage my students to consider either studying abroad or if they do think that they want to go on into a master's program or PhD to look at ways that they might travel as part of that process. Because, um, you know, if, if you're doing research, you are welcomed into places and parts of communities that you wouldn't otherwise get to see when you're traveling. It's it's a really different way of of seeing different parts of the world. Well it's definitely a way to get right down into the local yeah. the local scene and the mm-hmm. academic scene and yeah. you know being with people who are like minded and, and sure. even people who aren't like minded to to look at the the differences and the and the similarities and, and yeah. all of that. Yeah, I you you know if if you're doing research that's that's hopefully going to benefit some community, they welcome you in, and they they it's it's just always such a great way to connect. Well, it's so rewarding. It sounds yeah. so rewarding and and so beneficial. And and knowing that um, you are a more open minded person, that your world worldview is more open and then you can share mm-hmm. that. And speaking of sharing, talk a little bit about your research and how that what you've brought back with you is now taking shape and form into uh, the next level. Sure. So the research that I started working on over in Majorca, like I said, had to do with yoga and aesthetics. Um, and as I was doing this research, I realized that there were all of these overlaps between the parts of the brain that seem to be involved in a person having an aesthetic experience and parts of the brain that people were describing in yoga research when people were maybe having a meditative experience, things like that. Um, and so I kept seeing 
having these overlaps and kept having these conversations with Marcos and came to the question that I really wanted to explore, which is, um, you know, people that study aesthetics look at an aesthetic experience as something that you pretty much only can have if you see something out in the world. You see a beautiful painting, you hear a beautiful piece of music, and then your brain responds, right? So the question that I had was, well, what if you could do something like yoga or other things? You know, yoga is just one example. But what if you could do something like yoga where through that practice – you could train your brain to have more beautiful experiences all the time. And that really resonated with me because of my own experience with yoga, um, as well as what I was seeing in the literature in terms of overlaps between, you know, again, how people respond during aesthetic experiences and yogic experiences. And so the research that I'm doing now, I'm calling um, research on embodied aesthetics through yoga. And the idea of the research is um, to look at people over two weeks. So I'm um, participants in the research. I'm asking them to fill out these really short surveys every day for two weeks. And the surveys are asking them, um, have you done yoga? You don't have to do yoga every day, but you know, um, so I, I want to look at when people have done yoga and when they haven't. Um, and then I ask them questions about their sense of beauty, both within themselves as well as what they're seeing in the world. Um, and the idea of the research is to really explore that question further. Is it possible through different types of practices to cultivate a mindset where you can actually see the world as more beautiful all the time, or at least more of the time? Um, and I... Uh, you know, it, it's an idea that I'm fascinated by. I know that when I bring it back to my students, they're really going to resonate with that idea as well. And um, hopefully I'll be able to do this research for a while to come. Wow. Well, I'll tell you what, it just sounds so wonderful and, and so needed, too, to be able to. It's so cutting edge, I guess you could say, you know, at a time when beauty um we we all need that. I think so. You know, to me, beauty equals happiness and yeah. joy, and we all need that. Sure. So, Jonna, how can we – I know this website that you have has a long <laughs> name, and you're going to spell it out, and we're yeah. also going to put it on my speakingoftravel.net website. So right. there will be a blog post there mm -hmm. with more information, and people can uh, can sign up, and I'll put it on Facebook, and we'll put it out there because – I would imagine the more participation you have, the better and deeper yes. and richer your research can be. I, I'm really trying to recruit as many people as as are interested right now. Um, so if you are at least 18 years of age and um, intend to practice yoga at least twice a week over a two-week period, um, please consider going to my website to sign up for the research. You can learn a lot more about the details there. So the website for the signing up for the research is embodiedaestheticsyoga.com. That's a mouthful. Sorry, I'm going to spell it. Um, so it's embodied, E-M-B-O-D-I-E-D, -E aesthetics, A-E-S-T-H-E-T-I-C-S, -E yoga, Y-O-G-A.com. And um, and again, I know that's a mouthful, so we are going to put it on on your website as well. Right. Speaking of travel dot net, and um, and if you do have any questions, you can also use the website to contact me. 
perfect. John, we will definitely connect and get you all that research. And I thank you so much for sharing your experience. And I'd love to have you back on the show later on so that we can hear how the research turned out. I'd love that. Awesome. Hey, this is Marilyn Ball. You've been listening to Speaking of Travel. Go out, pretend like you're on a sabbatical. Relax. Go sit in nature. And remember, don't postpone joy. Joy.